Good morning, good morning, good morning. Man, so excited to be with you guys today. I'm going to pray, and we're going to jump into it. Father, we do come, and we say thank you for the privilege of gathering for another day with, with breath in our lungs. And all we want to do, God, is come with a heart of worship, pour it right back out to you. The one who gave it, the one who is the ultimate giver of gifts and good things. So, Father, we'd ask what we always ask, that you do what only you can do is change lives. You'd start with me. Help me to love you more. Would you please not allow this time to go by to where we do not walk out for those of us who know you and love you, looking more like you, trusting you, loving you more. And for those who come here who are wrestling or don't, don't know you or have a ton of baggage or, or are confused in their faith, God, would you bring clarity? Would you illuminate hearts in the way that only you can? as we stop and we talk about something that matters so much to you and therefore so much to us. If you would, right where you sit, please, if you have a faith, just take the next 10 seconds and pray that God would use this time in your life to grow your faith. If you would then, please, take the next 10 seconds and pray for me, pray that I'd be helpful and my words would be God's. Father, we thank you. We love you. Open our eyes that we may behold the wondrous things of your law. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, guys, as Cole shared with y'all, welcome to Springs Community Church. I'm so glad you're here. My name's John. I serve as pastor here at the Springs. If you're joining us this morning as we kind of move towards summer. Here's where we are. We are finishing a series where we have been journeying our way through the book of James. It's this letter that the younger half-brother of Jesus wrote. We've just been going section by section, kind of slowly moving our way right in the Bible. And man, this week and next, I'm so excited for how James in his letter, he's ending this and what I think God is trying to show us and to show me. Before we jump with that, I want, to, I want to tell you guys a quick little story about a dear friend of mine, close buddy growing up. So I grew up uh, North Georgia, a little town called Woodstock, but I ended up getting connected to a uh, private school to where I'd drive towards Atlanta. I had a long commute, well, at least for me, it was like 45 minutes, an hour drive. Traffic was terrible. You get there, but because of that, I ended up having friends that were spread out all throughout Atlanta, all around one of my closest friends into high school, still a good buddy, we were talking even recently, he and his family were marked by a lot of things, kindness, friendship, fun, laughter, humility, all that, but there was another thing. You could not go visit him or visit his family without noticing something. His family was extremely wealthy. Now, I mean real long-term wealth. So much so that their house, it was this beautiful house. It looked like a castle. You could have put it in a report. They lived in the nicest neighborhood on the nicest street in, uh, maybe second nicest. Some people would argue with that. Like a really nice street in Atlanta, this massive castle. They had this stone gate that went through. When you drove through the gate, it like alerted everyone in the house. This long winding driveway. It was beautiful, man. You'd walk in, it had this like gothic architecture to it, this back like spa pool meets overflowing garden that bridged out to a tennis court. 
their own tennis court. That's still shocking to me. Obviously, that's totally normal here. You guys probably live at Nukes, whatever works for you. But it was shocking for me, right? And I can remember, too, because this guy, he was so laid back. But, but through high school, man, he really became one of my closest friends. Spent so much time with him. I can remember right about the time we're getting set to go to college, we're talking about life. He and I, there was a later night, and he just said to me, hey, John, can I tell you something? And I said, of course. And he just leans over, and man, he was so down to earth. We'd never talked about his wealth. He wasn't spoiled. He was a great guy, now a great man. And he leans over, and he says, hey, my parents just told me something. I'm like, well, what'd they tell you? He was like, when I turn 25, I'm going to get $7 million to start my inheritance. It'll then come in incremental, chain, incremental amounts over the years following. They're doing it for tax purposes. They want to start paying it to me sooner rather than later because they want to make sure as much. So there's him and he had a younger brother. And he's like, it's just going to be one payment of multiples coming. Man, I don't remember if I was like 16, 17, 18. I don't remember the exact timeline. But I can remember sitting there and feeling much the same way I feel now. Seven million dollars. And just thinking to myself, how does this dude have a bad day? Like, that's crazy. But all of a sudden, I was like, okay, play it cool, play it cool. Because again, like, I could tell, like, he was honestly asking, like, man, that, that's kind of shocking. And I can remember just talking with him and spending this night and being like, all right, man, there's nothing you got to do for it, right? And he's like, no, I just, just have to live. I was like, okay. So I remember looking at him, and I was like, all right, man, patience is key. Just wait. Patience is key. Can you, can you imagine being 18, about to graduate, like you gotta finish, like it's your senior year, you gotta take all those AP exams or your finals, so you gotta try hard. And then you gotta go to college and you gotta try hard. And then for him, he ended up going to law school where he had to try hard. And he's like trying and he's trying and he's trying all the while he knows, dude, one day, I'm just gonna get paid. All he had to do be patient. Man, here's the reason why I start with that story and why is I've, I've read the text where we're going to be today. It completely reminded of it as we're looking at James. James is going to start with this call to his church, to those of us, if you're here and you believe in Jesus, this is who he's talking to. He's starting with this call of be patient. Wait. What do we wait for? Something that even to my broken, still fleshly at times, finite mind can't grasp, it's going to be so much better than millions and millions and millions and millions. Wait for when I come back. And while you wait, be patient. The thing I want to spend time talking about today is we look to the reality of the future coming of Christ, the inheritance, the riches, the worth that he bestows on the faithful. How do we be patient? How do we live in a way that, that acknowledges it and, and reflects his coming is going to make that wait worth it? Worth it. Because I think why James is sharing this with them, it's why we need it. Because you and I, we have a huge problem with patience. Like, I'm patient as long as it happens when it happens and I want it to happen. 
Like if it happens when I want it to happen, I am the most patient guy on the face of the planet. Seriously, I'm laid back, I'm chill, I don't get upset, it doesn't bother my expectations. But man, as soon as it begins to go outside of my perceived, man, it should happen by this time. All of a sudden, I begin to have impatience issues. And it's not just me. It's all of us. Like, it was so fun studying this this week. I came across a uh, survey. One of the reasons I love surveys is because you can empirically prove what God has already said is true. Right? This survey came across where it was actually done by this massive uh, financial institution where they are trying to grow and how they care for consumers. They're basically coming and saying, hey, what are the selfish tendencies of our consumers and how do we meet those better than anybody else so we get their money? So they go and they conduct this national survey where the survey goes out to people. 80% of the survey respondents started the survey by saying, I describe myself as patient. Four out of five people self-identifies, I am patient. Here's what it said, though. 96% of those folks, 96%. Anybody here to love a good cup of coffee in the morning? Yeah, dude, I like, I like Holy Spirit coffee. Like, that's what I, I just go on that, right? 96% of the people who self-identify as patient, guess what? They will risk the scalding, burning hot of their tongue to go and drink the coffee knowing it's too hot still just because I want the coffee. Y'all get what I'm talking about? Yeah, I drove through Shipley's drive-thru like two weeks ago. I was with a friend. Like coffee comes out, it sits there. It's early in the morning. I looked at him and was like, do you think it's too hot? I know the answer to that. And he looks at me, he's like, yes. And I'm like, you're right. Ah! Like set the whole thing down. Impatience. Right? More than 50% of Americans, according to this study, will hang up after being on hold for longer than one minute. That you? 71%, this has got to be a lie, 71% ex- exceed the speed limit so they can get somewhere faster. It has to be higher than that. <laughs> like 71%, like that just goes to prove humanity also has a lying problem. And they're lying, and it's like, all y'all are like, I will floor it to shave off two minutes and beat Google Maps. Yeah, I, I don't have that problem. Right? Because Americans, it said, they don't want to wait. They want to see what happens next. They don't want to wait. The average American watches seven episodes of television at a time. You know how television shows, they intentionally end in like a cliffhanger? You remember what a cliffhanger was in a TV show? It's like, what happened? Then you had to like wait a week. But now you can like, even Netflix shows up and you're like, skip recap, skip recap, go. Yeah, we are impatient, right? The, the generation that, that now makes up the most of Americans, right? Generation Y, millennials, the, the largest generation in terms of population in America right now, 72% of them admit that after they push the elevator button for the floor they want, as soon as it starts to close, they just start hitting it repeatedly because it's not going fast enough. You hit that elevator button repeatedly? Yeah, I've never done that. They check their phone. Why? Because they don't want to wait. They check their phone on average eight times before they get a text message from someone they're dating. Imagine that. They don't wait for the, wait for the buzz. They don't wait for the notification. There's a, did they text me? 
Did they text me? Did they text me? Did they text me? That's like exhausting. That's how you get like, that's got to do something bad for you, right? Like we have a patience problem. Here's what was amazing, this research study at the beginning. There's this summary quote for it where it says, hey, patience may be a virtue. This summary quote, hey, patience may be a virtue, but it is no longer a reality. It may be a virtue. It's no longer a reality. Now, here's the thing, man. These are trivial, simple ways that you and I are impatient. But what James is going to remind us today is patience. It, it is a fruit of the Spirit. It is a mark of the faithful. To where it's not meant to be for folks who somehow have more patience than others. It's meant to be for folks who come and have a love for God are known for it. Galatians 5, it's this famous passage, you've heard it, 22. But the fruit of the Spirit, it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and it goes on. Like church for us, as we come and we approach this text, patience is not optional. Patience is meant to be out of the overflow And what is the main thing that we are waiting for. What is the main thing we are called to be patient on behalf of. If you're here and you believe in Jesus, here's what, here's what marks you. You say there's no greater love in your life than that of Jesus Christ. He paid the penalty for every broken thing in you, all the dysfunction you create, the pain, the damage, and the scars, your past, what you're doing right now, and your future. And he's forgiven you of all of it. And one day, he's coming back for you. He's coming back to get me, and he's coming back to get you. The greatest kindness, the most love, the most redemption the world has ever known, and he knows your name, and he's coming for you and for me. And while we wait, James is going to say, be patient. Why? is worth the wait. So as we look at how the second coming of Christ is worth the wait today, we're going to see it in three examples as we talk about patience. First thing we'll see is here's the essence of patience, then examples of patience, and finally we're going to talk about how does patience evidence itself. If you've been walking with us through the book of James to kind of set up where it's going, James, he's written this letter to a group of Jews that were previously in Jerusalem but had scattered due to persecution. Like, if you know the book of Acts, imagine, like, Saul's coming, like, killing Christians, dragging them out. Stephen has been stoned. Peter's getting thrown in prison. Like, Jerusalem is a scary place to come and say, I am a believer in the way. And these now-believing Jews scattered. That's something you got to know. The other thing that has to make sense as we talk about this text is James is consistently driving home, hey, what marks God's people? What, what should be the characteristics of those who love him, who know him, who believe him? How should they be defined in their faithfulness? And that's where today, after James has talked about speech and life and purity and money and prejudice, in your plans versus God's will, your wealth, about all of it. He, he's 
culminating with this theme, he's coming back. Live knowing he's coming back. He's going to tell us, here's how we steward our patience. Man, if you've got a Bible, turn with me. We are James chapter 5. We're looking at verses 7 through 12 today. 7 through 12. I'm going to start by reading 7 through 9. All right. James chapter 5, verse 7, going on through 9. Be patient, therefore, brothers. What, what, just real quick. What happened last week? If, if you missed last week, he just talked about Hey, there will be people who will misuse their wealth, and through misusing it, they will oppress the weak. He's talking about in light of difficulty, in light of enduring pain, wait for the one who's going to make it all right. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it. Until it receives the early and the late rains, you also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Men, as we talk about how the second coming of Jesus Christ is worth the wait, the first thing you have to understand is in this command and this call to patience, what does he mean? What is the essence of patience? The main theme Paul's, or excuse me, James is building through this is just the reality that until Christ comes back, embrace the wait. Let me show you that. Be patient here. It was fun getting to study these two words, right? Be patient. It's actually the, the combination of two words, long and temper. It's talking essentially, hey, as you and I wait, knowing he's coming back, he will make all things right, have a long fuse. It doesn't mean you can't acknowledge there's difficulty and pain. It doesn't mean you can't acknowledge there's injustice in the world. But be patient. Why? The coming of the Lord. Right? If you you were here last week, we talked about this phrase, in the last days. The last days, it's a biblical phrase for essentially, there was when Jesus came first, think Christmas, think Easter, his first advent. And then his second advent, his second coming. The time period between then and whenever and only God knows he will return. That time period in between is the last days. And you and I wait patiently in the midst of it knowing what he is coming. And like any good pastor, man, he gives an example. He gives an example. This would have been to an agrarian society, so it would have really connected well with him. He talks about a farmer. Anybody know any here? Anybody know anyone here who's like a true farmer? Yeah? Okay. One of the things that I love about farmers is the reality of what happens to a farmer that doesn't work hard? Goes hungry. Right? You ever met a lazy farmer? You ever met a farmer that prayed for patience? Yes. Guys, that's where he sets up this example. Hey, in the same way as a farmer so waits, you wait. See how he describes it here, right? So he sets up like the farmer. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. There's so many things, right? That that word wait, it not just means like the last time you, you went to the doctor's office and you sat in the waiting room. 
Like you sat in that waiting room, and if you're like me, you probably got out your phone, because what you're trying to do is you're literally just trying to pass time as fast as you can. Not because you can't wait to go see the doctor, especially if it's a dentist. No disrespect to my dentist friends. Got a couple of those, right? It's not because you're so amped for that moment. It's because you're just trying to get through the moment. Wait here, it's different. It carries this connotation of expectation, of what could be, of looking forward to. And he doubles down where he says, what is the farmer waiting for? Precious fruits. Precious here, it literally means of worth, of value. James is saying why the farmer waits, because he wants the precious fruit. What does the farmer have to endure early and late rains? Are those under a farmer's control? No. Some season there's more rain, some season there's less rain, and what do they do in that moment? They can't control it, but they trust. They can't manage it, but they trust. Patience. And then what does a farmer do, especially before they go and they sow and then they harvest? Right, do they just take off that time in between there? No. That's when they get done everything else that needs to get done. They don't waste the time. They begin to prepare for the harvest to come. That's why, that's why James is saying here is you and I are called to patience. Patience, we tend to think of it as almost this passive action. Like it is a leaning back and a waiting for, I will receive. That's not biblical patience here. This patience is leaning in. It's why James says, you also, tying us to the farmer, he gives this beautiful phrase and this beautiful command, establish your hearts. Church, we don't wait for harvest. We do something now. You establish your heart. Establish here, it means to strengthen, to have a resolute commit to. One of the things I found out studying this week is this is the same verse that describes Jesus. Excuse me, the same word, pardon me, that describes Jesus. There's this famous phrase, especially if you hang out around Holy Week or Passion Week right before Easter. Right, it's in your Bible. It comes out of Luke chapter 9 where it talks about Jesus having had his public ministry. He goes and he sets his face towards Jerusalem knowing the difficulty that awaited, knowing walking to Jerusalem brings the cross, knowing it starts with Hosanna, Hosanna, and ends with crucify him, but knowing beyond that, for the joy set before him, he get to come and hear the gratitude of my redeemed soul say, thank you for your grace. That he would know and secure the Father's inheritance of those who believe he endured the cross. He set his face. You know what that same word is in Greek? Establish. Church, while we wait, there is no passivity on behalf of the king who will come. We are patient in a way that establishes our hearts for his coming. It's this beautiful combination, the word patience, of kind of two biblical themes. Expectation, the precious fruits of harvest. The beauty he wants to lavish on you and me and endurance. He knows that this life is marked by difficulty. He knows the late nights that a farmer would have pled, please bring the rain. 
please bring the rain. I need this much of a harvest. If not, these people go hungry. Please bring the rain. Independence and trusting in the good times and the bad. Expectation and endurance. And he talks about what happens to people when, when they live this way, when they really grasp the essence of patience. It changes them. That's why he says, therefore, do not grumble against one another. You know, you know what people can't do when they're working, they are preparing, they are looking forward to? Stick their head up, turn around, and take a comparison stack of other people. Look at them, insult, slander, and bring them down. They can't grumble. It's this word for this exasperated frustration that's never told. Church. You ever been around grumbling followers of Jesus? I have. Well, what's he saying? When you focus on that, you are missing why we wait. We miss it. And and then he builds the theme of why we also care, because at his coming, what happens? The judge returns, and he is standing at the door. There's this theme that James keeps hitting over the past few weeks. And it's a theme that the American church doesn't really talk about, by the way. Right? And it's one of those where each time I come to it, I'm like, James, we are still here, man. Here, here's the theme because he wants us to know it. Therefore, we must need to know it. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, when he returns, there will be a judgment. You will not be judged eternally by what you do. You will be judged eternally whether or not you spend eternally with God in heaven or apart from him by what you believe. I can do nothing to work harder to earn God's love. I can do nothing to earn my way into heaven. There's no amount of being a better version of myself to where I can somehow cross this demarked line of holiness and make it into heaven. You can never be good enough to earn your way to heaven. I think that's the greatest lie ever told. Church, we won't be judged by our works and whether or not we go and spend eternity with him. You'll be judged by your faith. But what happens from faith? Jesus Christ, he will come and he will examine what did you do with it, church? Because you've got to think about it this way. Right? Imagine the husband who comes and he loves his bride, cherishes his bride, gives everything to his bride, supports his bride, loves her, gives it all. And the bride squanders it, misuses it, runs off with other men, runs off with other women. Whatever form of brokenness Covenant love says she's still my bride. But that husband is absolutely displeased. Church, the judge waits at the door not to come and bring condemnation onto you. But he waits with a heart that says, did you go all in? Like, like did you and I get caught up in middle class, typically, well, 54% besides the Latino community, right? In New Braunfels, America, white suburbia. Did we get caught up in that? Like the rat race of, man, I gotta get the next house, the more kids, the retirement, 
Or did we sincerely get caught up in, he died for me, he loves me, he gave me everything, I'm going all in. Like, is this faith something you'll cling to because your parents always brought you to an environment or a space on a Sunday morning where they talked about Jesus? Or is this faith something you'll cling to because he really loves you? James is pleading the patient go all in. I got to see a quick story that's exemplified Friday night in a beautiful way. I got the privilege overseeing the wedding of two friends, a couple here getting married. And here's what happens every time there's a wedding, right? Yeah, typically, right? A groom goes, right, and he'll get ready. I don't know, it'll take that dude. He had to put on a three-piece suit. Probably took him a while, then he has to sit around in the AC. I don't know, we'll give him 30 minutes. Let's say he showers, we'll give him an hour max, right? Then there's the bride. This wedding was at 5.30. Y'all know what a bride does with the day she gets married? She spends the entire day preparing for the groom. To my dear friend Haley, she's up early. Guess what happens first? Hair. Guess what happens next? Makeup. Not only does she want to look pretty, she wants to make sure all her friends look pretty. She's got hair, she's got makeup, and then she comes in that dress. It's laid out. It's perfect. There's no wrinkles. She gets the dress all set up, coordinates the rest of the day, makes sure everything goes smooth, and it's a beautiful time. She puts on the dress. Looks marvelous. Stunning. Why? Does she do it to earn his love? No. Does she do it to earn his approval? No. Does she do it to earn his commitment? No. She does it because she already has it. She does it because he's already committed. He will be at the end of the altar waiting. And her patience goes to work. Church, Many of you, if you grew up in church, you know Jesus Christ, he's often described as the groom, and we, the church, the people of God are his bride. Do we prepare that way? Do we establish our hearts? Are you marked by a disciplined pursuit of him? Language we use around here all the time, man, do you have a time, a plan, a place? Like, do you have a time where you meet with him five days a week? It's your time, before kids, before craziness, after kids, after craziness, whenever. Do you have a time? Do you have a plan? Like, do you know where you'll start reading your Bible? Or do you just open, flip, point, read two verses, check the box, walk away, and then stop and think to yourself, man, I never really get anything out of that or remember what I learned. If you don't have a plan, open in the book of John, keep turning right. I'd encourage you, I'd read one chapter a day. Why do I pick one chapter? Because in John, there's some really long chapters, and one chapter feels very doable. Place. Is there a consistent environment you can go and get away? Church, do we establish our hearts? That's how we steward the patience. One of the things James wants to do, too, is where he talks about patience. He never wants you and I to feel like we have to figure it out on our own. And that's what he's going to remind us of in the next two verses. If you've got a Bible, jump back with me. We're going to look at verses 10 and 11. This is why, another reason, man, I love my Bible. 
as an example of suffering and patience. Remember, patience is an endurance and it's an expectation. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. If you know any of the prophets, he just said they were blessed. He goes on, you have heard the steadfastness of Job. And you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful in the same way while James calls you and I to patience. Next thing he wants to do is make sure you and I don't have to figure it out on our own. He's going to point to some really faithful examples. What we see through this theme is what are some examples of patience? How has this played out in life? He starts with man is an example of suffering and patience. The tone of the text even almost takes, like James starts to show us, hey, you want to know who my heroes are? Like, like we tend to think, I, in my brokenness, I tend to think heroes of the world are the people who have just done amazing things, right? They, they've turned things, they've built tremendous industries and empires. They did all these wonderful things. They've established success, all of that. And James is going to talk about who his heroes are. His heroes suffered, and in the suffering, they remained steadfast. He talks about, and this is true, right here through verse 10, is an example of patience, brothers. Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Okay, so who were the prophets? These were the people on behalf of God came and spoke God's word to the people. This was all the way from your Old Testament up until the New Testament arguably ending, John the Baptist. What was the mark of these men and some women? What was the mark of them? Thus saith the Lord. They proclaim the name of the Lord. You and I are called to be a prophet. You and I are asked to be a prophet. And here's the only role of a prophet, to share the truth of God's word. Now, what happens to those prophets? What happened to those men who became blessed as they remained steadfast? Let me walk you through a few, right? Let me share with you. Noah, anybody know the story of Noah? Right, guy waits, arguably, it was about 100 years it would have taken him to build a boat. Before that time, I put before you, rain had never come. So people would have come around and he would have had to have explained, hey man, rain's gonna come, God's going to judge. He's calling people to believe in him. It's through this vessel that he will lead to freedom and safety through his promises. Can you imagine being mocked for a hundred years while you pled with God? Please make it true. How much family must have turned to him and like, man, you better be right. You better be right. Let's go another. Moses. Moses, man, who didn't want the job right, called to lead God's people through tremendous difficulty in Israel, all the way out, wandered the desert for 40 years because of a moment of disobedience, doesn't enter the promised land. Moses, David, David, let's talk about David, tried to be killed by Saul, consistently ran hiding in caves, gets past Saul. Guess what happens? His own son tries to overthrow and kill him. That's David. Elijah, Elijah faced false teachers and false priests who wanted them dead. And as God demonstrates victory, he runs. And there's this crazy lady named Jezebel that tries to kill him. Right? Daniel. 
Daniel ripped from. These are our examples, right? So church, here's what I'm saying. Are these our heroes? Is this how we see patience? Right, Daniel comes, he's ripped from his homeland. He then comes and serves a pagan king and he does it really well. And guess what his reward was? It's chucked into a lion's den. Who wants to sign up? Right, Hosea, Hosea, a man called to marry a woman who is consistently, habitually adulterous, unrepentant, and unfaithful as a demonstration to show the world of God's covenant love. He's saying these are examples of patience. These are what we call to. And then he's crazy, man. He's, this is crazy. You only think this is true if you believe in Jesus Christ. Here's what he says about all those people. Blessed are they. Blessed, it literally means happy. Blessed are they who remained steadfast. It's a commentary on what his older brother Jesus taught in Matthew 5. We're not going to turn there, but where Jesus says, for those prophets, guess what? Great is their reward in heaven. Expectation. Guys, we only endure. Oh, forgive me. I almost forgot Job. Let me tell you about Job. Right, that guy, just faithful guy, most righteous man on all the earth, that doesn't mean he didn't have sin. It means he had prevailing faith in the promises of God. Satan comes to God and says, I bet I can get your boy to curse you. God says, no, not Job. So he says, okay, let me have a go. Right, he comes, has a go at Job, takes away everything. Job doesn't punk out. Job stays faithful. He remains steadfast. He comes back, hey, man, I bet if I take his health, God says, nah, he won't curse me, man. God providentially allowed Job to suffer. You want that kind of patience? Church, we're called for that kind of patience. He came and he took it from Job. Job had bad days, man. And then he talks with God. There's a restoration with God. He remained steadfast. The only way that we can exemplify patience like that, guys, is if you sincerely believe Jesus Christ is true. Like honestly, like if you've, if you've checked out or, or you're kind of bored in the sermon, just tune into this, this part because here is what is, is the core motivating factor for being patient until the second coming of Christ. Do you really believe he loves you? Like real love. Do you really believe like actually, that he is good. Do, do you really believe that he's for you? Do you really believe that every terminal illness, every lost child, every moment of persecution, every bit of endurance, every moment where you plead, God, I know you're true, but doubt comes in. Are you there? Are you real? Will you help me? Do you believe that one day he's actually going to make it all new? And in the faithful, he'll come. Well done, good and faithful servant. For so they persecuted the prophets. 
your reward. It's great. And have, does, that, does that motivate you? Because here's what's true. The reality of God coming to judge you is a motivator. The primary motivator is love. You don't need to fear him. Fear has to do with punishment. Perfect love casts out fear. He loves you. He loves me perfectly. The second coming, it's worth the wait. But you must remember, real patience doesn't get, get it confused on. It will go my way. Yesterday, I woke up to a text message from a close friend of mine, close friend of many people here. She and her husband, this is my, my friends Paul and Carrie, they've been on a three-week trip through Europe, right? Paul and Carrie, they are, a, yeah, I don't, I don't think they'd mind. They're a little older in age. They chose this trip about a, a year ago. Since that time, Carrie, her husband, his health, it, it's been stable, it's been good, but it has been declining in a way to where they're part of a group that joins and all are invited every Thursday morning for a time of corporate prayer. For weeks leading up to this trip, we had been praying for the health, for the energy, and for the ability to stay on the trip. Now, everyone's fine, but Saturday morning, Saturday morning I wake up to a text, this faithful couple that had pled with God, that fears God, that so loves him when you get around him, you can just tell. I got a text, hey, Carrie, he had to go to the, the doctor's office on the boat. They're on a cruise. The doctor got a hold of him. There was such an emergency. They, they did a forced stop at a city so he could get off and go see the cardiologist immediately. They went, they took him to the ER. He founds out he has a heart block. It's going to require a three-wire, don't quite know what that means, three-wire pacemaker. She sent out, will you please pray with me? First, for his health. And then upon hearing about a pacemaker, would you pray he can come back to the US so we can have the surgery there? If you know Paula, here's what you know is true. She would be the first one to tell you that in her flesh, not in faith, she can be marked by worry, anxiety, fear, and control. And this bride, while she waits for the health of her husband, is texting me. And she just says, I have a peace. And it doesn't come from me. I have a peace. Her husband, Carrie, he's stable. It turns out, I just found out right before the start of this, he is going to have the privilege getting to come back here. They're going to get a flight home, and the surgery will be taking place here. So pray for our friends as you pray for all those hurting and wounded around you. But here's the amazing part, too. This is why I'm telling you, man. Is this type of patience you want? Is this what you want to be all in on? Because church, this is what we're called to be marked by. Carrie, her husband, sent Paula a text message. Paula went last night. She stayed in a hotel. She was exhausted. Sent her a text message, and the first thing he sends in this text is, awake, with an exclamation point, showing, sweetie, I'm okay. And then his next two words, love you. And then he spends the rest of this text message, this man, older in age, hurting, who calls pain his friend who took this trip, who's had the shock and the fear, walk through all of this. He talks about how there were two nurses who cared for him throughout the night. He woke up three times. He could tell that life had been rough on them. They had been forgotten and discouraged. And he tells about, to his wife about how he did all he could to encourage them, that they might know they are loved and God sees what they do for the hurting. How can he be an example of something like that? How? 
he established his heart. He established his heart. Church, we wait for the coming of the king, not passively, but actively. We establish the heart as we focus on what's to come. Yes, we endure difficulty. There's no such thing in the Christian faith as if you had enough faith, there wouldn't be problems. That is a lie. Because you have faith, you will have problems. But in the midst of every problem, there's a core driving belief. He is enough for your fear, for your anxiety, for your depression, for any form of sexual confusion, for sexual brokenness, your, your, your greed and the stewardship of money, your self-righteousness as you sit there and think, man, I knocked this out of the park. Wherever. The second coming is worth the wait. And while we wait, we establish. Let's look at verse 12. But above all, But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. So if if you were paying attention as I read that, I can imagine one thing went through your head is, why are we talking about swearing? Right? How did did we kind of get off of be patient what comes to the future? It's worth the wait. And how did we start talking about swearing? Oh, let me show you. This third point I'm going to put before you, it's what happens to a heart that strives to be patient. It's the evidence of patience. So scholars approach this one verse. They talk about it in kind of three camps, right? The first camp says, hey, this is its own independent theme. James has left the second coming and waiting patiently. And he's on a whole new thing talking about oaths and swearing. We'll talk about that in a second, what it means. Right? The second thing they talk about is, oh, this is a summary statement. James is summarizing everything he said. And then there's a third camp who says, no, man. Do you see that phrase, but above all else? He's tying in the contextual theme of how we are called to patience. And then he's getting one example of how impatience brings confusion And impatience brings pain. I'm putting before you, it's that third reason. But above all else, do not swear. What he's not talking about here is cussing. Right? What he's talking about here is language we would use as taking an oath. I can remember growing up, one of my favorite movies was Hook. Right? People make fun of me for that. Love that movie. It's a phenomenal movie. R.I.P. Robin Williams. All that. And there's this phrase. He says, my word is my bond. James is talking about do not swear. It's this impulsive oath-taking. He's saying don't swear by heaven or by earth. His big brother talks about why not. Those aren't his. Those belong to the king. You can't make one hair white or one hair black. Therefore, don't swear on behalf of anything else. In fact, don't make rash oaths. Don't come and do to impatience pleadingly say with people, no, no, this time I really mean it. Swear. Christians are be called to be marked by, I always mean it. My yes is my yes. Let, let, me, let me show you how that, how that works out and how patience plays in there, right? It's the reality that he is coming back. 
You see, when I live patient with the reality of he is coming back, here's what it changes. All my interactions between now and when Christ returns, he may come back before I die, I may die before he comes back. Same may be true of you. The only one who knows is God. How I steward that time, I live in light of it because it's worth the wait. It changes the way I live. It makes me patient. When I'm patient, I don't make rash oaths. I trust knowing, hey, there's one who will come and who will examine my promises. He'll see, hey, man, were you, were you a man marked by? No, 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 I promise, I promise. No, 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 I really, I really mean it. Or were you a man marked by when you said something was true? It was true. When you said something was not true, your no was your no. Because as you come, and they ask you, how could you live this way? Your word must be your bond. Church, patience changes the way we live. It is meant to be evidenced. It's, it's true in our words and how we use it. It's true in every area. Because he's coming back, because that day is worth it, I do not have to chase satisfaction and fulfillment in the corporate ladder. Because he's coming back, because he's worth it, I don't need another child or first child to finally feel settled and content. Because he's coming back, I don't need a bigger retirement. I don't need a retirement if you're providing for your family already. I don't need that. He'll take care of me. Because he's coming back, I will steward my sexual purity now because he is worth the wait. Because he's coming back, I can live in every area of my life imperfect, striving towards faithfulness, but waiting for the king because he's coming back. Church, second coming of Christ in a way to where, honestly, I totally wish I could come up here and with more eloquence than what I have, describe the majesty of it in the moment where he comes down on clouds like there's swords out of mouths, there's tattoos on thighs, and he splits, and then the world will be divided. There will be a distinction between the believers and the non. I wish I was gifted enough to somehow describe that in a way that was like a semblance how glorious that will be, how our hearts will literally just lean in and be like, I always knew it was true, but it's true. Where our hearts will have gratitude, he's come for me, and yet there will be the sense of, oh, I wish I'd gone all in. I wish I had given more. I wish I had said no to more TV and read more about him. I wish I had been more tender, more gracious, more loving, more compassionate in the way I care about my kids. I wish I hadn't dated those string of guys that brought pain, those string of girls that brought pain, because really, I was trying to fill a hole that only he could. That day will be worth it. And so while we wait... The essence of patience, it's not passive, it is active. We establish our hearts. We pursue him knowing we live in a broken and a fallen world that is imperfect, but he is perfect. We have examples of patience. Men and women who've gone before us, 
who have suffered, endured, and yet sought the reward that awaited. And for the sake of the king, remained steadfast. One of my favorite proverbs. Many a man, many a woman proclaims his own faithfulness. It's easy to say you're faithful and you love God. But a steadfast man, a steadfast woman, who can find? Church, James wants that to be us. He wants you and I to be the ones who can be found. And when we live that way, what does it do? It evidences, it changes the way that we live. It changes the way that we love. Let me close with this. I, uh, I can remember when I first started dating my now wife. I'd known her for two weeks, I think. Not even that, two weeks. Right after that, I, I'd been a follower of Jesus for about nine months. I was set to go on this trip to Ethiopia. I was excited. I was going to go tell everybody about Jesus. It was a short-term discipleship. You go over there. You share your faith. Man, I was going to go all in. Well, I meet this wonderful woman. I've got two weeks, man. I did multiple dates, like multiple dates on the same day. I just kept asking her out. She just kept saying yes. I just kept spending time with her. I was so excited. I'm set to go on this trip, and there's this honest sense of, I kind of don't want to go. I know, it's like terrible. None of you would ever feel that way about a discipleship trip, I'm sure. But I remember thinking like, I don't know if I want to go. Why? Because I wanted to be with her. Now, I knew what was right. Man, I'm getting on that plane. But I can remember thinking, 10 days. 10, the heart can't last. I think back now, man, and I'm like, you idiot. 10 days, come on. But no, man, I go, I get on this plane, you fly to the other side of the world. Yes, I had this glorious trip, told people about Jesus. It was, it was amazing. It was amazing. Every day, I thought about her. And I can remember too, man, you go over there, like your whole world is turned upside down. It was so frustrating to me. I couldn't speak the language. I had to talk through somebody else. Right, the food kept jacking with my stomach. People kept getting sick. Right, the whole time, like, like the, the calendar of my day is flipped up. What should be night is now day. What is day should be my night. Like I didn't feel well. Yet every time, I was like, all right, God, what do you got? And I couldn't wait to see her again. She wrote me these letters that pointed me to Jesus. I was like, who is she? The whole time in my head, I'm like, what if she found another man? What if she moved on? What if she forgot about me? All that. I can't call her, and I'm not going to be that guy who like, calls her. That's even too much for me. So I'm in Ethiopia, and I'm waiting. I can remember flying back. We flew, I think it was from Paris or Heathrow. I don't quite remember. Flew straight to Dallas. That's where I lived, Dallas at the time. Phone turned off. I hadn't talked to her. We get to Dallas, I gotta go through customs. This custom guy is like interviewing me and I'm like, dude, I am a good guy. I gotta go. Like you're in between me and something, right? I wanted to see her. I was tired of waiting. I was tired of waiting. Literally, I get out there, at least in DFW, the airport, there's like terrible cell service because of all the infrastructure to where I have to finally get outside. Like there's the road where people come and they just do departures and arrivals. They drop people off, pick people up, like that road. I do not even cross the road to get into the parking garage. I sit down on a bench, exhausted. It was daytime, but to me it had become nighttime. I felt super sick. I couldn't wait to talk to her. I sat on the bench. I picked up the phone and I called her. She answers, 
hello? Say, hey, start talking with her. She says, are, are you still at the airport? I said, I couldn't wait. I had to call. And there was this theme of it of like, I, I missed you. I didn't want to wait. Literally asked her, hey, you got time to go on a date? Not kidding, y'all. From that airport, I drove straight to a Thai restaurant. You do not eat Thai after you come back from Ethiopia. Okay? Yeah, a bunch of people were shaking their head like, idiot. Love struck, man. Love struck. I sit there. Why? Because I wanted to be with her. I wanted to be with her. Ten days went by like that. Ten days are nothing. This life in the expanse of eternity, it's nothing. I couldn't wait to see her. I look forward to seeing her. There was a love for her. Here's what I'm telling you, church. It will be the most wonderful. It will be the most magnificent embrace you will ever have for an eternity. It is worth the wait. Let me pray we'd live that way. Father, I thank you for the truth of this passage, how you are coming for me, you are coming for us. I pray that that would change the way that I live more and more. I'd long for that out of a joy for you, that I would steward this life well, that when it comes to me, one of the marks of me, not because of legalism, but love would be John, an imperfect man. But he sought to be obedient. May that be a descriptor of me by your grace. Father, may that be a descriptor of your church. May we long, may we hope for what awaits in the joy in getting to be with you. But God, may we not waste this time. May we establish our hearts. I need your help to do that. We need your help to do that. I thank you knowing you love helping. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Guys, if you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, or if he's someone to you who's far off, estranged, or hurtful, man, don't leave here without turning to somebody and saying, are you a follower of Jesus, and asking them about it. If there's confusion, come and talk with me. If you want to get connected to us in our newcomers class, if you just want to come and learn a little bit vision and values and what it's looked like, man, go hang out with my buddy Jonathan in room B. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, and you are not already actively, consistently, and ready to share your faith, stay, be trained, and learn. Why? Establish your hearts. Go. Have a great week of worship. See you next Sunday.